0: Our scripture reading tonight for the sermon is from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The word of the Lord.
1: recently spent some time with a young woman who finds herself in a challenging position. And uh, be- because of the delicateness of her situation, I'll just uh, call her Mary and kind of tell her story in an anonymous way. Mary is a community leader. Um, she is black. And recently, several of Mary's neighbors came to her and told her about a vulnerable member of the community who they felt had been treated unjustly by people in authority. And Mary knows a lot of these people and shared her concerns with them, but she doesn't feel that they took her seriously. They don't think they hurt anyone. Mary, however, believes that the organization they lead has an unhealthy and hurtful culture, uh, especially in the way that it relates to people of color. So Mary doesn't feel the matter has been resolved, and she has continued to voice her concerns. And she says that she loves these leaders and just wants to work together to solve community problems. Uh, But she does believe a member of her neighborhood has been treated unfairly, and so she is still advocating for them. Many of Mary's neighbors are upset with her, and she is being hammered on social media. They feel she's just stirring up trouble. Mary is brave. Mary has deep faith. Uh, Mary is trying to work for justice. She feels very alone. I met with her because someone had called me last week and said, you need to meet with her. And interesting, Matt and I had, had uh, decided that this would be the text for tonight. It's the lectionary reading for tonight. And as I studied Mary's great song of praise, I just kept thinking about um, my new friend Mary. I think we'll see why maybe as we go through tonight. This great song is often known as the Magnificat from the opening word in Latin. the translation in Latin. It's our oldest Advent carol. It's our oldest Christmas hymn. And many of us know the song as a simple uh, psalm of praise, and it is that. And we think of Mary primarily as kind of a passive and silently obedient partner in God's plan for redemption. God says, you know, would you carry this child? She says yes, and we revere her for her obedience, and we should. But what I haven't really paid much attention to, and maybe others haven't either, is the second half of the psalm, Mary shifts from uh, praising God to being a prophet. And she has something to say to the people who will claim his, her son as savior. She offers a vision of the kind of kingdom her son will be establishing in the world. And that is what makes this hymn so interesting and so dangerous. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German martyr, loved to write about this song. He said, the song of Mary's is the oldest Advent hymn. It's the most passionate, most vehement. One might almost say most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. It is not the gentle, sweet, dreamy Mary that we often see portrayed in pictures, but the passionate, powerful, proud, enthusiastic Mary who speaks here. None of the sweet, sugary, or childish tones that we find so often in our Christmas hymns, but a hard, strong, uncompromising song of bringing down rulers from their thrones humbling the lords of this world of God's power and the powerlessness of men. These are the tones of the prophetic women of the Old Testament. Deborah, Judith, Miriam, coming alive in the mouth of Mary. Apparently, the Magnificat was so terrifying to rulers that the British East India Company forbade its being sung in evensong while they were in power. Leaders in Argentina forbade the song after the mothers of the disappeared displayed its words on placards in the Capitol Plaza. And during the 1980s, the governments of Guatemala and El Salvador prohibited anyone from reciting the song anywhere. Now, what could be so dangerous about a Christmas carol written by a teenage peasant girl? Well, it starts out safe enough. She begins her song by praising God for his love and his mercy towards her. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. In verses 47 to 50, she gives the reasons for praising God. He's chosen her. To join him in the plan of salvation. He's, generations will call her blessed for her unique role in the drama of salvation. God is mighty, she says. He's holy. He shows mercy towards those who fear him. And for most of us, this is kind of all we remember of this. Uh, some, a friend pointed out that there's a beautiful carol from the Magnificat. But it stops (laughs) here. It doesn't go into verses 51 to 53. In the second half, Mary starts to prophesy. And she uses a prophetic form where she's looking into the future and then saying, I look back and I see that this has happened. And she says that God is going to use his strong arm, his mighty power, to oppose the social and political and economic forces opposing God's purposes in the world. Now, clearly she didn't understand everything that was about to happen, but as she is prophesying here, what did she expect God to do through the Messiah? Well, specifically, God will do three mighty acts. He will scatter the proud... He will bring down the powerful, and he will send the rich away empty. And all of this, the last two verses say, is rooted in God's covenantal promises to his people. So what is she saying? How do we understand this language? And you can see why. I bet you don't get a Christmas (laughs) card this year with Luke one fifty one to 53. Merry Christmas. God is tearing down rulers. <laughs> Love the banisters. No, I haven't seen, I haven't seen a lot of those. Um, I haven't heard many people sing about it. Well, let's think about Mary for a minute. She has a very bleak future. Uh, when an unwed teenage peasant girl was found pregnant, community typically was devastating literally could even stone her as an adulteress soon after this moment when she recites this the Romans required Mary to walk 70 miles while pregnant with a full term baby to a small world town of Bethlehem and she actually gives birth as a essentially being homeless now when you look southeast from the stable or cave or wherever she was in which Jesus lay she would have seen Herod's great majestic palatial resort, which was known as the Herodium. And he built a 2,500-foot mountain himself so that you could see it from everywhere. And at that time, it was the largest palatial complex in the Roman world. And so wherever Mary would have been, she would have seen the light shining down from Herod's resort uh, in the night sky. And so, as she's attempting to recover from this long trip to Bethlehem and giving birth, which, which of, of course, is a, is a very traumatic thing physically and emotionally, she would have stared up into the night sky and seen Herod's luxurious resort. And she knew that her son was the only person deserving the title King of the Jews, but the Romans had have appointed Herod king of the Jews. She knew that he was an impostor. And don't forget that within a few days, Mary and Joseph would be forced to flee with Jesus and become uh, refugees in Egypt while Herod ordered half of Jesus' playmates to be murdered. And so it's easy to kind of think of Mary as praying for God to bring vengeance upon Herod and the entire political establishment that he represented. And I think it's coming out of that sense of being, you know, oppressed and hounded. Reverend Carolyn Sharp in a sermon says, Don't envision Mary as the radiant woman peacefully composing the Magnificat. Instead, see her as a girl who sings defiantly to her God through her tears, fists clenched against an unknown future. The Old Testament prophets, when they envisioned the coming kingdom of God, often use a theme called the great reversal to describe it it's this idea that uh, when the kingdom of God comes everything will be turned upside down the prophets talk a lot about the proud and those are the people who resist God they're arrogant selfish they don't love others And when God's kingdom comes, that kind of person will be scattered and the humble will be exalted. Psalm 918, the needy shall not always be forgotten. Let the nations know they're just people. And the prophets also dream of a day when the unjust rulers will be removed and righteous leaders take their places. Job 12, he overthrows the mighty, sets on high those who are lowly. And finally, the prophet saw a day when the hungry are fed. Psalm 147, 6. God executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. And so Mary is anticipating that this son that she's bringing into the world will bring about a wonderful reversal, that he will turn everything upside down and that it had already begun because... God has chosen a poor peasant girl to bear his son, not a woman of power and prominence. You know, s- songs are, are important, aren't they? I, I'm, I, I wish I knew more about music. Um, I do like Taylor Swift. I really do. And I was listening to her new album today, and I was just thinking, sh- she is in so much pain. It really, it seemed to me like a song about mental health and struggles and depression. And I, th- I thought that what you sing about really kind of lets you know where you are, how you see the world, how you what you're feeling. And a lot of our songs today are uh, songs like the ones on midnight. They're, they're songs about uh, struggle and depression and hopelessness and despair. This song has its own share of struggle and despair and hopelessness. But there's hope and there's joy in it. And it's interesting. I didn't know this. But it's its meant so much to the church in her history. Monastic community started very early. Maybe the 4th century Do you know that every evening for 1,400 or 1,600, 1,700 years, monks and nuns sung this song, an even song at the end of the day? Every evening. Uh, When when Gandhi uh, requested that this song be read in all the places where the British flag was being lowered on the final day of imperial rule in India. It's a very powerful song what What should we hear from it tonight? Um, well, just briefly, two mistakes to avoid. Uh, a lot of commentators spiritualize the psalm, and you 've probably talked about this you 're probably familiar with this there 's a tradition that sort of spiritualizes everything and the kingdom of God is just something that reigns in my heart, uh, has nothing to do with physical hunger or or physical power, and it's all about an internal kingdom. But no first century Jew would have read it that way at all. Um, read the Gospel of Luke, it's just, there's a lot in there about the physical world. But there's another interpretive mistake, and that is to, to politicize Mary's song, and that is to pull it out from its context, and you just make it all about political revolution, all about class warfare, it has nothing to do about God. And, uh, and then you just wind up in a whole other place. It's just a proof text for a, a bloody revolution. No, the song is rooted in God's covenant faithfulness. So let's, let's just end briefly with three lessons to take from Mary's song. First, godly women... Because I'm saying this because Mary uh, is, a, is a, often a, a picture of a virtuous woman... Godly women humbly obey God and prophetically work for justice in the world. Uh, The Protestant Mary is usually silent and passive. And we like to honor her for saying yes when God asks her to become pregnant with the Son of God. And we should. That's an enormous step. But the Mary of the Magnificat is not just silent and passive, um, She sings a song that shakes the world. She's engaged with the world. She is a prophet. She will pay a price all the way to the cross for her faith. Second, our our kids learn about faith from what we sing about. Jesus you know, the apple didn't fall far from the tree, right? His mom, his mom was steeped in the scripture somehow. She knew the Hebrew prophets. She cared about justice, and she sang about it. She sang about it all the time, and that's what Jesus picked up. It's no wonder that he taught what he taught. He heard it from the synagogue. He also heard it from his mom singing. You know, there's a lot of things that are important in raising children in the faith and our godly play and what you do in your formal teaching, but I I think our kids maybe learn as much or maybe even more from what they hear us sing about. You know, the kind of things we talk about, the kind of things that make us weep, the kind of things that make us laugh. Yeah, that's really spiritual formation is what mom's singing about, you know, when she's working. And then the last little thing that we've just seen over and over again in our years together is the kingdom of God is holistic. Mary has this deep faith in God. She celebrates This deep fear of God. His mercy is those for fear him. This this song celebrates knowing God, loving God, worshiping God, praising God. You can't take that out of it. But she also praises God because she's partnering with God and bringing about the great reversal. And so the shape of our discipleship needs to be in the shape of Mary's song. There should be deep reverence, love, worship, and prayer. There should be participation in the great reversal. There should be sharing in the work of justice in the world. Both go together. As we finish this study of Mary's hymn tonight, I keep thinking about my new friend Mary. Uh, I'd never met her before. I didn't really know what to expect in our conversation. I I found her a woman of deep faith. I found her to be a prophet. Someone on whom the spirit lingered like perfume. And at the same time, I met a brave woman risking much to care for a vulnerable neighbor. My new friend is participating in the great reversal. Lifting up the humble. And humbly confronting the proud. And she inspires me. And may we be like her. Let's pray. Lord, I, I just I keep thinking of some of the lyrics from Taylor Swift's songs, and just just how sad she is. There, there's no final verse. There's no no hope. And Lord, we we know in this world there are many reasons to be sad and we sing those songs ourselves and Mary had them too and would know many tears. I think a prophet told her that. But her song also has hope because it's anchored in the covenant God. God. And her life will have meaning and purpose because she's sharing in the great reversal. Lord, we, we don't want to minimize the pain that Taylor Swift sings about. It's real. Lord, in our little family, what we've tried to do, and I'm sure we'll keep doing is Just gently connecting the pain of our smaller stories with the hope of your big one. Would you do that for us tonight? Songs are powerful. They're not just things that are fun and cute and quaint. They're powerful. They terrify colonists. Would you shape our story by your song, even as we come to the table tonight? In your name we pray. Amen. The Lord be with you. you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord.